What's up, everyone? This is C Park, and you're now listening to Electronic Current. It's Paper Skies, and you're listening to Electronic Current. Hey, it's Eamon, you're listening to Electronic Current. Hey, this is Respawn, and you're listening to Electronic Current. Yo, it's your boy, Jor, and you're listening to Electronic Current. 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 Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Electronic Current Guest Mix. I am your host, the famous DJ Aya. Joining us today is Mississauga's very own C Park. She's an emerging bass music producer and DJ who's traveled all over the U.S. opening for dubstep dons such as Yaks, Point Blank, Not Low, and Ipsium. And she's helping pave the way for women and people of color to flourish within the scene. She's just released an audiovisual project titled What It Means to Be Human on YouTube, the link for which will be in the description. C. Park, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, so we'll start off with a, sort of a classic little question here. Uh, how did you get into electronic music in the first place? Oh, man, it's always hard to answer that question because I feel like the journey had so many steps in it and it's right. hard to summarize it in words. But um, I've always been musically inclined since a young age. Um, I was classically trained in a few instruments. I played guitar in a band and I sang. Um, I actually used to have a YouTube channel back in the day. Um, where I did all that stuff. But the uh, the first rave I ever went to was Avicii in 2011. It That's was a awesome. block. Yeah, I know. What an epic first rave. Yeah. Um, but it was a block party event in London, Ontario, which is where I went to school. And it was $20 for a ticket to rave in a sweaty white tent. And I was still 18 at the time. So it was like quite the experience for me. Definitely nothing I've ever experienced before. But uh, the love for EDM eventually grew over the years. And then I finally bought my first DJ controller in 2014. And then that's the, the same year I got my first DJ controller. Nice. That's actually crazy. Go. Oh my gosh. That's so, what was your first uh, DJ controller? Uh, I still have it and I still actually use it. It's the tractor S4 Mark one. Oh my gosh, dude. I had the same controller except I got the Mark two. Yeah, no, my, my, so mine's wild. a generation behind then, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's reliable. Like I used it for a gig like two weeks ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it really is. I used that controller for like six years. And the only reason I moved away from it is because, you know, the industry industry standard is right. obviously Pioneer. And I figured I should familiarize myself and get some gear that will be similar to what's in the club. So that's literally the only reason. But otherwise, you know, my S4 served me very well for all the gigs that I played up, up until last year. So great. The nice controller. thing about DJing software is that once you learn like one DJ software, you have so many like transferable skills for other ones. Like I've never had an issue going from, cause I started in virtual DJ okay. uh, and then I went to tractor and now record box and like, they're all basically the same. It's just a matter mm-hmm. sort of of where the buttons are. Definitely. Yeah. Whereas like I've tried using different like Photoshop programs for instance, mm-hmm. and it's just like I have no idea where the button that does this is on, you know, Photoshop versus GIMP, for instance. Like I just Yeah. The learning curve is different for each of them. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I saw on your Twitter you won a powerlifting meet recently. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. How do you balance the training for powerlifting with all the traveling you do to play shows? Um, I'm not gonna lie, the balance has been incredibly difficult because the lifestyles of a powerlifter and a DJ clash pretty hard with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the peak of my training for powerlifting, I had to wake up at 5 a.m. Oh, no. um, and I was waking up earlier leading up to the actual competition since that's when I would have to wake up and weigh in and start my lifts pretty early in the morning. Um, whereas my creative brain would be the most um, awake and alert, like between the hours of like two and 5 a.m. So it was really hard, you know, trying to leverage mm-hmm. um, as much time getting um, creative work done when my brain is the most efficient and then balancing, you know, the early mornings of training that I had to do for the meet. Um, and I did quickly realize that both of those things require a lot of dedication um, and discipline and passion. Like I'm a very passionate person and, and I really pour that into everything that I do. So I, I did realize that I probably won't be able to put equal passion and energy into both moving forward. Um, and if I had to choose one, I would choose music for sure. But like mm. powerlifting is still a really important part of my identity. I'm never going to stop doing it for sure. But instead of, but you know, uh, doing it on the, the competitive level might be 
out of the picture in a couple of years, depending on how the whole music thing goes. But, you know, I was in the fitness industry previously and, and I love competing. So I think I'll try to make it work as best as I can. But yeah, the lifestyles and, you know, the amount of time and energy that had to go into both, it was it was quite difficult to balance. No, that makes sense. Um, it's interesting what you say about the having like a peak creative hour thing, because I'm definitely yeah. I'm definitely the same way where I'll even like purposefully skew my sleep schedule so that I'm more alert for like when I have to when I have a, a gig coming up, for instance, um, yeah. or like I just have an easier time focusing on things at night. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I definitely will not be joining you in the powerlifting anytime soon. I don't yeah, have, that's okay. I don't, I don't, I don't have the 5 a.m. in me. That's not, you know. Honestly, like, I wish I could. And I did actually try it for a while, you know, being in the 5 a.m. club and starting my days early in the morning. And I'm not going to lie, like I was pretty productive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just thinking about the lifestyle of a DJ and like how yeah. late our gigs go and all that stuff, like maybe it's not super super feasible like maybe for a short period of time when you have a lot of stuff to do and you just want to maximize your productivity but and i'm sure like i've been told you can obviously train your brain to be productive at different hours so i'm sure Mm -hmm. i could put time and effort into that as well but um you know outside of powerlifting and djing i do have like a life outside of those two things too so it's like i gotta pick my battles wisely now at this point in my life so no 100 percent. yeah um, there's been a lot of rhetoric on social media about DJs versus producers and what it takes to succeed in the scene. As someone who's well-versed in both, what is your uh, opinion? Um, well, I, I did start out as a DJ, so I will always have such a strong respect for the art and its place in the scene. But it does bother me a lot that this um, conflict online is always DJs versus producers because we need each other and belong in the same same ecosystem. So, um, but obviously in the EDM space, a lot of producers use DJing as an outlet for their production and music, but um, the art of DJing and respect for it tends to get lost in the sauce a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, as a DJ, like your job quite literally is to put on a good show and mm-hmm. maintain the vibe of the audience, right? And at, at the local level, I would argue, that's what matters the most when you're opening for a headliner. But if you're a really good DJ and a good producer, then I think you would be in the best position possible, at least within the EDM space. And again, it really depends on what your own personal you know, goals and dreams are, because, you know, being both a DJ and producer is dope, but you don't have to do that if that's not in line with your goals. Like people should just be able to do what makes them happy at the end of the day. So I guess that's kind of my take on it. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question, but um there was something that you said that was interesting about like uh I was like about like what success kind of looks like or like what your goals are. And yeah. it's interesting because like as a as a DJ, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other DJs, but yeah. um in actuality like it could just be that there's very different like goals in terms of like where you want to succeed and how big you want to yeah. go. Like there are definitely people who make big room house that don't actually love big room house, but like wanted like their aspirations were to play on those huge stages. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for them being able to do that is success. Whereas there are, you know, producers who are more like, I want to create like, like a timeless piece of piece of art that you can Mm -hmm. listen to 30 years from now. And then, you know, me personally, I kind of would just want to throw a cool party right now. Like that's where I'm at. Um, So it just, we, we need to like a rising uh, tide lifts all ships. Right. And uh, yeah, I think absolutely. some of that is missing from how we talk about ourselves and from other uh, DJs within the scene um, yeah. and sort of uh, tangentially related to this, this week in particular on social media, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, opening DJs. Uh, Cause whenever, yeah. whenever a bigger DJ has a, has a take, it sort of spreads and then everyone, you know, provides their insights. So um uh, I'm curious, what do you think the place of an opening DJ is uh, uh, in within a night? Within a night? I mean, I think, well, first of all, when, when a promoter books a lineup, you know, they should always keep in mind, like, what appropriate artists, what artists would be appropriate for that particular mm-hmm. lineup, knowing what they can each bring to the table. And that goes for both the headliner and the local artists that they book for support. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of the opener having to restrict their own 
energy for the sake of, you know, quote, quote, carrying the flow of the night, I feel like that reflects more on, you know, the headliner. So if a headliner is having to worry about an opener outshining them, I think that's a problem on the headliner's part, you know? Um, and obviously as somebody who has opened for a lot of DJs, like, I don't, we don't necessarily want to feel restricted in our own creativity and stuff either. Oh. Like, I think the only rule really is that we shouldn't be playing the headliner's music. And obviously we should be playing music that fits the vibe of the night. So for example, if you're going to be opening for a heavy dubstep DJ, like maybe half your set shouldn't be 45 minutes or maybe half your set shouldn't be house music. You know what I mean? Like you got to read the room in that sense. You're warming up the crowd for a heavy dubstep show. So you want to be, you know, uh, crafting your set accordingly. But in terms of like toning down the energy and like, you know, saving it for the end, I don't think that's a fair ask for local artists, especially for people that are on the come up. And I'm sure that, you know, promoters that book those artists keep that in mind as well. It's interesting that you mentioned the the genre thing, because I actually I recall a, a tweet from like four years ago. Um, do you know Quix? The, the yeah, track producer? yeah, so I love Quix. Quix was talking about an opener that he loved who played dark Moombaton for an hour, which oh. is like the opposite of what quicks plays like just yeah. so completely different but but he said it was like it was a vibe and like yeah. it wasn't something that he thought was going to fit the the tone of the night but yeah um, it, it sort of gave him the leeway as you know the the headliner for the night to kind of just do his thing and not have to worry about like yeah. what the other person was doing so I, I don't think it's a one solution fits all kind of kind of uh thing you know that's a really good point, actually. I do think that the artist should have as much creative freedom as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like I think it's on the promoters to be to bring the right people that are going to match the vibe of the headliner. You know, like Dark Moon obviously is not the same kind of stuff that Quicks it's not would play. But you know what? Like I don't know. Like it kind of tie. It like that would match more with trap than. I don't know, techno, for example, you know? I'm pretty curious about what Dark Moombaton is, though. Right, I remember yeah. He, he phrased that as Dark Moombaton, and I'm sure it was, like, not even that. Right? I, just, I can't... Because Moombaton is just so, like, bouncy and fun, and you know what I mean? I just can't imagine there being, like, a Dark Maybe, Moombaton, like, but, maybe there were, like, Drezzo songs. Like, Drezzo has some stuff in that maybe, Moombaton yeah. tempo. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, yeah. I'd be, I'd be curious, too. I gotta go look into that now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dark Moombaton, Google search. Yep. <laughs> um, so talk to me about the process of working on what it means to be human. Oh, yeah. So that was like a big, big passion project of mine. Um, like those are the kind of creative projects that I wanted to do uh, with music eventually. But I wasn't expecting myself to do something that big this soon because I figured I would get a little bit more experience under my belt before taking on something like that. But um, Pastel and Soul Food Music Collective had reached out to me and said that they were throwing this uh, cinematic like music video series and they wanted me to be a part of it. So I figured, you know what, like this is the perfect opportunity to just like get my story out there and, mm -hmm. um, you know, do something that I've always wanted to do. And I had I had already started the planning of it like a long time ago. Like I literally have a notes uh, a note on my notes app on my phone that has like preliminary ideas of how I wanted this project to be. But I was going to do this like, you know, three to five years down the line. So I was like, okay, let me go like open that note and start fleshing it out. So um, I also knew that it was something that I wasn't going to be able to do on my own, even though I did quite literally everything on my own up to this point. So um, I was very blessed to work with a team of super talented creatives. Um, so Eamon was one of them. He was the one who co-produced the video with me. Uh, and then I also had Liam Medina who did my visuals. Um, and then Saya who did my logo and then um, Mustafa who also helped with the filming and the visuals as well. So it was um, a really great learning experience for me to learn with the team. Um, and I felt very blessed to have to not have to do everything on my own um for once and you know it was kind of a tight timeline having to squeeze everything into two months obviously me not having a lot of experience with this I was like yeah yeah like it's totally doable we can definitely do this in two months but we were still mm -hmm. like you know we were grinding for the entire two months and like those guys just put in so much time and effort into the project that seriously can't thank them enough for everything but it was such a great experience and I'm so happy that I was able to get you know 
my story out there and more importantly, get some of my original music out there finally as well. And, um, you know, being able to combine uh, both visuals and filmed content of myself and make it into this whole thing was just like such a cool experience. And I'm so grateful that I got to do it this early in my career. Congratulations. That's uh, that's a truly a great milestone. Yeah. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Um, so I actually did release a song very recently on the 12th called Dangerous. Um, it was actually in the video as well, um, for what it means to be human, but now it's officially out on all streaming platforms. So, um, go ahead and take a look. It's going to be all over my socials. Um, and then other than that, got some shows coming up in the fall that I can't share too, too much about yet, but you know, keep your eyes peeled as always. And uh, the announcements will eventually come. So, and also I wanted to say thank you uh, to everyone that's been supporting me at this point. I would not be here without you guys. So seriously grateful. Well, I think there's nothing left to do, but uh, get into it. Get